you know, when you're repelling, you know, you're well, very much in control. A lot of the things, special operations that we do, we're very much in control, but water is different. Water, water really freaks people out. Enchanted Sky Media. 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 Code 3, the podcast for firefighters. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again. You know, swift water rescue is a dangerous proposition, and nobody knows that like an Arizona rescue team member. While we're known for our dry deserts here, when it rains, those dry washes become raging rivers. And having the right training for these extreme situations is critical. My guest today, Tom Pendley, has been pulling people out of sticky situations in Arizona since 1987. He's worked for Peoria Fire as a special operations manager and was a technical rescue instructor for Arizona State Fire Marshal's office. Tom runs Desert Rescue Research, and he's written a couple of books on technical rescue. Tom Pendley, welcome to Code 3. Good morning, Scott. You know, for years we watched a TV news helicopter pilot reporter lifting people off their swamped cars in Phoenix. After all that time, why are people still driving into flood conditions? Uh, I think uh, that when it comes to swift water, moving water, uh, common sense does not seem to apply to the water. And, and and I guess in our business, we kind of tend to say common sense doesn't seem to be that common anyway to people. But when, when you talk about water, um, the, the force of water is behaves uh, like any other uh, fluid and even air, aerodynamics, in that as the speed of the water uh, increases, uh, the force is multiplied. If the speed increases uh, time, you know, one time, the force is multiplied four times. The, the long and the short of it is, is the force exerted by the water surprises a lot of people. If they don't have experience with it, it's much more powerful than they imagine it will be. People are in a hurry, and they think it doesn't look like much. They don't have experience with water, and they get they get surprised. What are the most dangerous things about flash flood water? I, I think, especially when you start looking at <clears throat> flooding in general, probably kills more people than all the other natural disasters uh, in in our country combined water gets dumped by heavy rain in one area and it moves downhill in the watershed and it moves it moves fast it, it may not be raining where uh, people are but the water comes quickly and uh, and it's incredibly powerful water is uh, by and large been a big factor in shaping the physical features of our planet. What's the most dangerous thing for rescuers about swift water operations? Well, uh, I think that all all rescuers uh, are very much at risk of being swept away and being caught in the many hazards that exist 
just like the victims of all of the things that we do, especially in training. Swift water is one of the areas that when we're teaching, we tell students, you know, that we really can't control the hazards and the variables out there, and it's 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 more it's more real than just about any other thing. In other words, we just we just can't control all the hazards, and so uh, rescuers uh, can can very quickly go from a control situation to um, being overpowered by the water, being swept downstream, being caught in strainers or hydraulic features very quickly. It's very dynamic and fast-changing. Now, do you find that the fact that rescuers typically have an assortment of protective gear and ropes and all that tends to lead to overconfidence when they go out to what looks like a simple rescue in swift water? You know, Honestly, I think that uh, we tend, rescuers tend to actually, the opposite is true. I think that rescuers tend to uh, really um, have a very well-deserved uh, respect for the water, and, and, and we kind of tend to be overcautious, in, in, in my opinion. I think that I think the rescuers have a really strong respect for the water and, and sometimes almost too much uh, to go in, but probably the most important thing that rescuers can do is a lot of training, a lot of swimming, a lot of getting in the water, understanding what their uh, strengths and capabilities and limitations are so they know what they can do. They know what the water is going to do to them, and it builds their confidence so they can look at a situation and say, I can easily go out and maneuver and operate in those conditions uh, quickly and safely. And they can also look at it and say, well, that's too much for me. So probably the most important thing for rescuers is to spend a lot of time training, not standing on the bank, but actually getting in the water, getting wet, uh, and really learning what their capabilities and limitations are in the water. We have really kind of drummed into people you know, don't go in the water. And when we're talking especially about first responders, awareness level training, leaving it up to the technician, so to speak, uh, don't go don't go in the water. And everybody's kind of got that stuck in their head. And it leaves us a little bit overcautious, I think, when in many situations the, the rescuers' uh, techniques and skills could quickly resolve a rescue, and in, in a lot of situations, we tend to wait around and all suddenly find ourselves in a situation where the water rose, and it got worse, and now it's even more difficult. If that makes sense. I know that seems kind of counterintuitive, but that's, that's kind of, in general, the feeling that I get is, is because water scares people. I mean, water water is, there's this, um, it's a, it's a really powerful force that you know. Like when you're repelling, you know you're well, very much in control. A lot of the things, special operations that we do, are very much in control. But water is different. Water. Uh, when you know, divers say this too, the dive rescue guys, water really freaks people out, and uh, so people have a lot of respect for it. And I tend to be you know, pretty darn cautious around it, is, is what I think. 
Now, having said that, you've done this for years. Can you tell me about the worst mistake you ever saw and what we can learn from it? You know, uh, um, I was I was working on an, actually on an article a while back, and uh, it brought back a memory that I had of a rescue that happened in uh, 1998, uh, March of 98. I was the uh, I was working for Peoria Fire, but I was also the Swift Water Rescue Coordinator for the uh, Maricopa County Sheriff's Office uh, Mountain Rescue Team. And I had been regularly talking to the uh, SRP hydrologist in training. You know, we're getting ready for training. I would give him a call. You know, what's the watershed doing? What's the water flows doing? And in this particular uh, time in early March, I called and and he, and he told me we had had a really wet winter, and he said uh, the water set is is really saturated, and um, anything any big wet storm that comes in, we're going to get everything's going to run. And uh, that's the thing about this business is that by and large, it's not something that should really catch us by surprise. It's, it's one of those things, especially when we're talking about flood rescue, is that it is very much uh, predictable um, in that, you know, we can, we can, we have all these tools available to us. We can see all this happen. Uh, we can see storms coming in. We can see the condition of the watershed. We can be proactive and, and do all these things, and yet, uh, it seems like a lot of times it tends to catch us by surprise. And that particular day in March of 98, we had talked about with the sheriff's office, we had talked about the conditions of the watershed and the increased hazard and made a recommendation to go on uh, sort of a heightened awareness uh, and uh, have uh, some sort of alert system so that if, if we get a storm coming in, if we get a flood watch, um, or flood warning uh, happening, we need to pre-deploy and be really ready for it. And, and you know, they just it kind of fell on deaf ears. And there were some scouts that were leaving an area up by Payson uh, in the Sunflower area. Six six uh, people. Uh, it started raining, and they tried to cross um, um, Sycamore Creek, which is normally a little trickle. And uh, their car stalled out in the middle of this thing, and they got on their phone and they called a tow truck. And they missed. They, they like we talked earlier. They they did not um, understand uh, the hazard, and and they just they just didn't know what to do. So they called the tow truck, and the tow truck got there and took one look at it and said, "Wow, you don't need me. <laughs> you need somebody else." I, you know, this is you know the water had continued to rise. Now there's six people, there's three scouts and three adults on top of this car, this uh, Ford Explorer. And so they called, the tow truck driver called the sheriff's office and a deputy showed up and he had no water rescue training. And so he just tried to solve the problem by himself at first. And they were kind of fiddling around and the time is ticking by and the water kept rising and finally it dawned on them that uh that it was a real emergency it's getting late still raining 
Um, and so then he got on the radio and he, he, you know, was panicked and called, send everybody. So we're all rolling up there. I was working in Peoria at the time on duty, and I, I was not able to leave when the call first came out. But uh, it's low visibility. Helicopters can't fly. It's snow. It's starting to snow. People are dri- only driving like 20, 30 miles an hour on the B-Line Highway. Mesa fires rolling. Rural Metro is rolling. MCSO. Um, everybody's heading up there. And when the first guys got there, now, like six hours had gone by from the, when they first got stuck. It's just a crazy amount of time and uh, of being complacent or slow. And uh, one of my buddies on uh, Maricopa's team was just putting his PFD on when he somebody yelled, it's going over, and he looked up and he buckled his helmet as the uh, car uh, rolls over and six people get pitched in the water. It's snowing. It's it's uh, um, you know it's bad conditions and they really waited too long uh, because when they when the first deputy got there, if he had called right away, we probably could have done a waiting rescue and walked up to him or some really simple technique. Uh, but when the car rolled, now. The stream is very swollen out into the trees. Uh, there are many hazards. The, they managed to throw, throw bags to, and get three people rescued, three of the six. Um, I got there the next morning and helped searching, um, and we found the bodies of the other three people in the strainers downstream. Um, and so, you know, that was probably, that, that accident has haunted me for my whole career because, number one, it was so predictable. In fact, um, I sat in front of the search and rescue coordinators uh, ahead of time three weeks before and, and actually called it, you know, and said, you know, from the Hacienda, from the west, Hacienda, either, or uh, uh, New River, Alfreda River, Skunk Creek, Cave Creek, Sycamore Creek, and and over. These are our major waterways and every other little one. And we get any kind of storm in, everything's going to come up. And we're going to have cars and all, all those typical rescues. And uh, it was almost, it was, it was scary how close of a prediction um, I had made. And it wasn't like it was some sort of psychic thing. You could just see the setup. It was, uh, it was, uh, you know, almost uh, just it was just like primed to happen that particular type of thing, and and I felt like three people needlessly lost their lives that day, um, and, uh, and we were all pretty, uh, you know, pretty at risk too. I mean, I think we had some rescuers that uh, got uh, pretty pretty close to being pulled into the situation in a way that. Uh, they might not have been able to recover from. We had a bunch of rescuers that were pretty severely hypothermic because it was snowing, and we're, you know, Phoenix rescue area rescuers coming out of that. This is back in the 90s, um, and it was kind of like the early time in water rescue for us, and uh, we didn't have so, you know, uh, dry suits and all that stuff that we have now. So 
anyway, that's kind of a long-winded story, but uh, it, it haunted me for my for my whole career, I think. Once you got over the initial shock of having to recover the bodies, were you frustrated that with everything we knew this still happened? Oh, yeah, it was terrible, you know, and of course there were... Uh, there were lawsuits and everything, and I kind of had wondered if the piece of paper that I had was going to make its way into the thing that I had submitted to the sheriff's office, uh, talking about the, uh, you know, uh, pro the proactive approach to in the condition of the watershed. But nothing ever, nothing really ever came from it, and, and I think we all learned a little bit from it for sure, you know. Code3podcast.com slash Swiftwater. One word, Swiftwater. Don't forget to join us March 6th, 7th, and 8th on Code3 when we'll be at Firehouse World 2018 in San Diego. 
Code 3 will bring you a multimedia experience with interviews, video, and photos from the event. It promises to be an exciting conference, but if you can't get there, Code 3 will have it. Don't miss our coverage starting March 6th. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I'm Scott Orr, and I'll see you then. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.